Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is regular host Aaron Percival. And this is co-host Adam Zeller. And you are listening to episode 114. And this this one this one ended up being a bit of a surprise guest. I, I, I teased it on, I think the last episode, actually. I teased it on our Stalking Shadows review. And it's, it's one I've been... I would say it's a year in the making, actually, with with me being spamboxed. But yeah, this 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 is one I'm really looking forward to because if you've been listening to this 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 podcast for any length of time, you will know how much Adam and I love Predators, third film in the series, and how much we go to bat for that. We were fighting with AJ on the uh, retrospective episode a couple of episodes ago. So any chance to talk to somebody like our guest today is, is one that really gets us. Um, really gets us excited so i would like to welcome you know what i should have checked this with you before because i know you were laughing at this on the episode we did with nimrod i'd like to welcome alex litvak to the show did i say that right well done yes <laughs> yes you did brilliant totally and thanks for joining us amazed in how many ways it can be butchered <laughs> well, i'm terrible with names full stop I, I always i always worry when it comes to reading out names but yes i got it right anyway <laughs> Alex is one of the two writers of Predators. So uh, that's why he's on the show. That's why he has uh, Mr. Black on his background, if you're, if you're watching this on YouTube. So first things first, thank you for giving up your time to come and chat to us today. Um, you know, before we do start nerding out about Predator, can you let our listeners and our watchers know about who Alex Litvak is and uh, what he's been up to since Predators? First of all, thank you for having me, guys, and thank you to you, and thank you to everybody who's watching and listening for being a fan. So a little bit about me. You guys know this. I actually wasn't born in the States. I was born in Russia during the Cold War. My family immigrated to the U.S. in 91, and I was always one of these nerdy kids who just loved reading, loved watching movies. When they asked me in first grade what you want to do, and some kids say, I, I want to be a princess or I want to be an astronaut. I said, I want to be a writer. Just like love fairy tales and wanted to write fairy tales for kids. And that kind of evolved into a lot of creative writing when I was 10 and very foolish attempt to write a novel when I was 16, which I never finished and very bad poetry, sort of very sort of typical, atypical because it's it's all Russia and Soviet Union, but typical in, in, in that I was I was a classic nerd and just really wanted to love movies and and do movies and tell stories. So um, when my family came to the United States, I was already done with high school and I really wanted to get into film. So I went to USC Film School, which was a bit of a culture shock. Like my first year in the states wound up being my first year in college. Uh, went there for production, took a lot of writing classes, which is really another way of saying that I wanted to write and direct. And of course, you know, I wanted to hold up that golden statuette and say, well, this is heavy. And thank you, mom and my agent and all that stuff. And when I graduated, another sort of fork in the road, which way do you, which way do you go? Do you try to get a job in the video store, write the great American screenplay, or do you, do you get a real job? And my parents were not happy about my choices in life. You did not come to this country, so you'll be unemployed for the rest of your life. <laughs> so one of my internships led to a, a job working for Randy Harlan. He was in post on Cutford Island, the movie that was going to start a mega successful pirate franchise, which basically destroyed pirates for the next 15 years. Yeah, so, so it was Rennie when he was still married with Gene. I had a production company, was developing what at the time was one of my favorite scripts, Long Kiss Goodnight, sort of as a tangential connection to Predator. Shane Black is one of the biggest inspirations of my 
whenever I teach writing classes, I always talk about how the importance of voice, the importance of a perspective, the importance of bringing in your unique spins of the story and everything I learned about that, I learned from that guy. But anyway, so took that job thinking I write on weekends, didn't realize it was a choice of a lifestyle, really. And for the next 10 years, and that's going to be an important part of the story, me being in a box. Uh, for the next 10 years, I worked for a successful a succession of, of various production companies and studios. Was it 20th Century Fox for two and a half years, which is where my first contact with the Predator franchise came in. And then finally switched to writing in 2005. So it was kind of a weird moment in time where after 10 years in the business, the company I was working for went under. So a bunch of people got laid off. And at the time, I just realized I kind of hated what I did. It was sort of the equivalent of wanting to be a, an adventurer, an explorer. But first, let me get a job working for the travel agency and figure out really how travel works. So I, I felt like the reasons why I chose to to defy my family and get to go to USC, that that, that kid that, that loved stories, that was not the guy that I was going to the office every day and working with writers, directors, yes, which was tremendously educational, but it was really living out someone else's dreams rather than building my own. So I thought, well, look, if not now, when? I wrote my first script since film school, and lo and behold, it, it got me an agent, and it sold, and led to other things. And so um, that would uh, road that would eventually take me to Predators. And now, what I've done since then, Predators was my first movie that get, got made. The second one was Three Musketeers, which ironically, I wrote immediately after Predators, and that got made the following year. With Paul Anderson as well. You know, AVP's Paul Anderson. That's right. And since then, like highlights, Mike and I worked on Masters in the Universe for, for a number of years. And it's unfortunate. It doesn't look like that project will ever see the life of day, as a, at least not as a live action film. But uh, we worked on that for a few years at Sony. We sold kind of this big reimagination of Treasure Island to 20th Century Fox. Then we kind of parted ways and worked on our own for a while. And we've reconnected. We sold a script last year called Versus. To, to Universal, and they're in, in talks with the director. We're all very excited about it. Can't talk about it yet, but hopefully it will be announced soon. And we've actually sold another spec last week, which will be announced the following week. Also, another sort of big idea action genre script with a, a, another big director attached. So, oh, well, congrats on that one. Yeah, thank you. So, just continuing telling stories. Oh, and I have a movie coming out on Disney Plus. It was first foray into kids' space, which is called Secret Society of Second World Royals, which is sort of uh, X-Men meets Prince's Diaries, I guess. Interesting combination. <laughs> like I said, I predominantly work in the action thrill sci-fi space, but when whenever family movies are well done, I really enjoy them. And now I'm married, I have a kid, so I felt like, you know, it's time for me to do something. One of our traditions on the podcast is to ask our guests about the first time they have experienced the franchise we're talking about. And, you know, it's especially more exciting when it's when it's people like yourself who have had a hand in, in shaping, shaping and steering that franchise. Now, do you remember your first run in with The Predator? Was it, was it through the films or did you have a more roundabout way into the series through comics or games or figures? I think was Adam's way in. Uh, not to age myself, but, but certainly video games did not exist <laughs> <laughs> when I watched uh, The Predator for the first time. Actually, so it was still in Russia. Don't know what year it was, but it was still the Soviet Union and still the Cold War, but kind of the early stages of, of the fall. 
So American movies, by and large, were banned. Here and there, few snuck into the theaters. And I remember there was one theater that showed like Charlie Chaplin, Westerns and whatnot. But when you talk about like Star Wars, The Godfather, Raiders, all that stuff was never in theaters. So the way the drug culture works here, which like if you know there are eight people, that's how it was with movies, where everything was smuggled on video cassettes with like fifth, sixth generation dubs. So very, very low quality. <laughs> um, there is, there is usually a voice talking over, you know, translating the lines. So it's not like high quality dubbing. There's actually a guy who did the majority of the movies and he talked like this to disguise his voice. <laughs> and he was the kind of like cultural Robin Hood, if you will. And so despite all the, Incredibly shitty qualities. It was just completely groundbreaking. I remember slightly off topic of Predators, but, but on topic of sci-fi, watching Star Wars for the first time. It was actually Return of the Jedi it was the first one I saw in black and white because uh, the the, the <laughs> wasn't working, and it was all black and white. We're like, oh my god, this is uh, this is amazing. And Predator was actually when they eased the the regulations bunch of kind of video parlors popped up where basically you go and you pay five bucks at the door and you sit there and watch a movie like small screen and chairs and it's just basically like a, a way for these guys to have more customers and to 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 essentially it's all pirated it's all illegal but that was the only way to, to, to watch movies so that's how i watched predator for the first time and actually i remember having some trepidation before i saw it because the one genre i just don't really connect with this horror like, I just don't like torture porn. I don't like, like, people being mutilated. It's not, not me. So I'm like, well, but it's Schwarzenegger. I like Schwarzenegger, so I'll go see it. And I, I remember walking out. I was like, that was, that was pretty great. That was pretty awesome. I can say that was the movie that I was blown away by, but I remember being very pleasantly surprised by it. And obviously, it stays with you over the years. And I've rewatched it a number of times since. And just the more you watch it, the more you appreciate what was done there where something that could have been so genre, so B, ends up being A+. plus. I think that is quite possibly the best intro story we've heard. <laughs> yeah, that is quite the unique uh, introduction of the series. But uh, of course, we can't not ask you about your favorite of the films and also your favorite Predator design itself. I'm going to stick with the classic. Oh, yeah. Unsurprising. A lot of people go for that one. We can debate the merits or demerits of other movies as we were talking about Predator 2 before the podcast started, but look, their original is, it's a masterpiece, like I said. And you you watch it now, um, I watched it maybe like three, four years ago with my wife because she's never seen it, so I said, well, that's a requirement before we watch my movie, we've got to watch this one. And she is not an action fan, she's not a horror fan, but she really enjoyed it. And, and, and again, just the machismo poetry, the muscular quality of filmmaking, yeah, it was good then, it's good now. Now it's like, I I actually feel like possibly better just because it's like a fine bottle of wine that you open and, and, and it's matured so well with age. Here you go. There have been so many movies since that tried to do what this movie did and nobody has gotten it. And I, I'll even say, look, we had the ambition to match Predator and do better. I don't think we did, but we hopefully have come somewhat close, but nobody has. And that's why it's still it's this this monument to what you can do with a generic story if you truly if you truly get creative. 
Well, I definitely think the third film, you know, what, what you and Rodriguez and Antal and Troublemaker Studios did definitely uh, emulated that feel of the original film more than any of the other sequels. Well, we had the benefit and the curse a little bit of being massive fans of the original. So uh, unlike Predator 2, where it's like, okay, that was a hit, but it, it has not achieved an iconic state, status yet. Now it is quite a long time has passed. Now you know what this is, what the fans are expecting, and you just don't don't want to fuck it up. Yeah, you, you're not just making, oh, like, here's a cool sci-fi action movie. This is a Predator movie. And, and we all felt that the franchise has gone, of course. So how do we bring it bring it back to the, what we think is the right course, but also rather than just delivering what you already expect, of course, and again, that's my problem with Predator 2, it, it, it doesn't build. It's just sort of like more, more of the same. How do we try to give the fans both what they deserve, but also what they don't expect and, and open new chapters, new doors. And at one point we were really hoping to door, blow the doors wide open. What about the design, though, in terms of the actual Predator creature? Is, is that classic as well, or, or is there any of the others that you... Yeah. Classic, okay. I know there is a lot of debates about different designs. I have just, to, to me... I've always cared more about the story and, 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 the, and the characters and, and, and the yeah. world. Like we've had some input, obviously, in terms of how we conceived the the upgrades, but we, we never really we were more interested in the characters and the worlds and, and the situations that these guys are going to find themselves in. Well, the the classic Predator design did did make a return in the third film. Was that something that was kind of your idea, or did that kind of come from somewhere else? That was always going to be. I mean, you can't not make a Predator film without having the original Predator and being close to 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 the original design. At least that's how it felt. So, yeah, I think it was always a given. And the Predator franchise has never really enjoyed the same amount of expanded universe material as the Alien series. So a lot of the entries that tend to delve into the lore become quite popular. Predator shares a degree of similarity with one of the more revered comic series, which is Predator Bad Blood. So we were curious as to how knowledgeable you were in regards to the Predator expanded universe and whether that played into your writing on the film, if there was any inspiration from the comics or anything like that. Zero. I actually didn't know it existed until I listened to your podcast with Nimrod, and you guys mentioned it. Hmm. Oh. Fair enough. I, I suppose. Suppose for you, for your sort of edification, you know, it, it's mainly that conflict between uh, predators. You know, conflict in ideologies, kind of thing. Mostly more in, in in that you know in that fight, I guess, than anything. But like you've already mentioned, you know, this Predators was your first writing credit, and you know, coming out of the gates with the sequel to an iconic piece of the cinema landscape is huge so how did how did you come to be involved with predators how was that the one okay so now here comes a very long story apologies it's going to be like multiple seasons of a team <laughs> so my first contact with the predator was actually i mentioned to you guys i worked with fox it was like 96 or 98 and predators was one of the projects i got put on as an example. And at the time, all we had was the Rodriguez script, which you guys have read. And I was like, how do we restart this? How do we get something? So I pitched two ideas to my bosses. The first one was, hey, why don't we do Alien versus Predator? <laughs> so there was, I think, a script by Peter Briggs floating around, which was Alien versus Predator. And 
I was just like, look, guys, this is going to be a massive event for the. I remember pitching the teaser. I was like, on one side of the screen is the alien head, on the other side of the screen is the predator head. And they slowly turned toward one another. So the problem was this. And it was a non-starter at the time because we were making Alien Resurrection. So everything was riding on the success of that movie and it underperformed. So it was like, oh, you're not making another Alien movie. And then because Predator 2 was a disappointment, the, the feeling was, well, you can't really make another Predator movie without Arnold. And Arnold was not, for whatever reason, not gettable at, at that moment in time. So that, that, that kind of went away. And the other idea was, I said, well, why don't we try to go after Arnold and try to get him? And I pitched an idea and I said, look, I can get a writer to write this. There's so many fans out there. And the idea was, what if we make a sequel to direct sequel to Predator, which the first one was was not, which is what happened to Dutch? So an idea was Dutch is now he has been mothballed because the whole thing has been classified. It never happened. So he is effectively has been drummed out of the military and he lives in some sort of a life in exile. So he's either doing some menial jobs or maybe he he's, he, he, he's in prison on trumped up charge, whatever that is. So another predator ship crash lands somewhere. And instead of going to the jungle, it was anything from a crash lands in the water. So so it, it's more of an ocean setting or it crash lands somewhere in the mountains. So we're now in the mountains, but, but it's some sort of hard to access location. So now the powers would be come to him saying, Dutch, we need you because another predator ship has has appeared and think of all the tech that we can access. Think of all the technological leaps and scientific leaps, leaps that we can make. Come with us because you are the only one who, who faced this creature in a bit. So reluctantly, he says yes. So it's now he, he there's a new group. It's kind of this, this new elite group of commandos. And now he's older. They're younger. He's been out of circulation. They're, they're very cutting edge. So he's, he's sort of the odd man out. So they all go there, and he's not in command. He's like more in advisory capacity, like Ripley in in Aliens. So they all go there. They get to the ship. They blow the hatch, and there's a whole fucking team of predators just waiting there for them because you realize what the whole thing is. It's been a trap to get Dutch. So so now Dutch is the prize prey, and the reason they showed up again is because they're hunting him. So now it's a total kind of this executive decision type fiasco where. The team is largely massacred, a few survivors, and Dutch is now pitted against the team of not even the upgrades, but just like the the, the predators who've come specifically after him to hunt. So that was the idea. Again, yeah, kind of interesting, but it, you really need to get Arnold, and Arnold is, for whatever reason, deemed ungettable at the time. So, fine. so that idea goes away. Did that not even get broached with Arnie at all then? Was that just an executive level? As far as I know, it... it and look, I talked to, I remember talking to John Davis's company about it, to my boss at the time. And I remember broaching it with a couple of writers saying, look, if I get a green light and they say just hire a writer, not a lot of money, I, I will come to you guys. And, and again, you have to look at it through the lens of Predator 2 didn't work, Alien Direction did not work. So just there was just not a lot of appetite for either franchise. And, and also, I think the genre of filmmaking at the time was not as valuable or respected as it, as it is today. So, so that goes away. So that's that's the end of that show. Now, cut to, I guess, 10 years pass. And I'm now a young writer. I just finished my first script. I am being courted by all these various agencies. Um, it was between Endeavor CA and WME. I'm going to all these meetings. There's a lot of drive. And I don't know how. It just an idea pops into my head 
of, hey, you know what would be a cool Predator movie? Is if you come to realize that up until now, you've only met one variety of Predators, but there are other clans, other Predators. What if there was a Predator who hunts Predators? So literally within seconds of that, my brain was just lighting up like a Christmas tree. And I was going, oh, wow, that is so cool. And I'm about to pitch you guys that the core idea of it was, but, but, but basically I was like, that is a great idea. And I am a writer who hasn't even, I just wrote my first script. I haven't even sold it. So what can I do with it? But I remember talking to one of the guys who wanted to sign me. He's like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I just have so many ideas. I want to do another Predator movie. He was like, oh, great. So I, I sold the script. I have this career doing stuff. But so that idea just sticks in my head uh, as like just something that I really want. I have no idea how to do it. It's like, you know, having a great idea for a Star Trek movie or Bond movie. What are you going to do with it? But it sort of keeps, keeps, keeps knowing. Now, okay, we would. Cutting from 2005 to 2008. So 2008, this idea kind of gestates, and, and I have a full pitch now, and I hear that, you know, there is some interest at Fox to, to revive the franchise. I said to my agent, look, you got to get me in there. I, I, I have an idea. I have, everything is, like, mapped out. I, I want to pitch to this idea. So I went and met with the guy working for John Davis, and the pitch was this. You're somewhere in the jungle and a spaceship lands. And you're like, oh, great. It's a predator spaceship. You expect a predator to come out. But what comes out of it is a human. What you come to realize, it is an alien planet. It's a jungle on an alien planet. And you're actually in the future. And the hunting party that showed up to this planet is a human hunting party. So we've expanded across the stars. And now in this movie, we are going to be the hunters. And the reason why we've come to this planet, and it's a group of like sportsmen and playboys and whatnot, the reason why we've come to this planet is because the star of the planet is about to go nova. So all the life on this planet is about to be extinct in, say, 24 hours. So you're going to hunt species that will nobody will ever hunt. So this very wealthy, well-equipped group shows up, and leading them is our great hunter character. So it's sort of Michael Douglas in The Ghost in the Darkness, the guy who's like hunted across the galaxy, hunted across the stars. But now he feels he feels like he's about to become extinct himself. Like he has more in common with his prey than with these assholes that he's leading. So you get into that. And by the way, as you can see, one of the things I wanted to to get away from is, is Dutch. That hands the reset of the time because I just remember from Fox that whole like, oh, you can't do it without Arnold. Well, Okay, so it's future. Let's 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 just put put Dutch aside for a moment and just focus on on the school predator predator versus predator. So here's our hunting party led by this, as I said, our great hunter character. Little do they know that another ship has dropped from orbit on the other side of the planet, on the other side of the jungle, and it's a predator ship. And of course, they're there for the same reason because they're here to hunt this tremendously valuable, about to be extinct prey. So the first act of the movie is you're tracking two hunting parties on a collision course. And then, boom, they collide. Awesome fight. And that's when a third ship drops from the And that's when you realize kind of the big idea, the big twist of the movie. It's not the Predators. It's Super Predators. It's somebody higher up on the chain. It is a clan that has no honor, a clan that is more technologically advanced. If, if the original Predators are more traditional, so they hunt with certain weapons, they have a certain etiquette. It's guys who have upgraded themselves up to the yin-yang. It's the guys who have falcons, their version of the bloodhounds. They're not here to hunt the, the animals that are about to be extinct. They're here to hunt the predators. So now 
This party mops the floor with both the human hunters and the original predators, and it's down to one predator and, and our hero. And they're stranded on this planet as the clock is ticking, the, 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 the sun is about to go nova, and their only way out is to work together, team up, beat the much superior enemy at their own game, and hijack their spaceship to get away. So that's that in a nutshell is that. So I go and pitch that. The response is, okay, it's all kind of cool, but you know what? Can't do the future, can't do Alien Planet, because Predator is fundamentally a terrestrial franchise. All the prior movies have been set on Earth, so we've got to do it on Earth. I said, great, let me come back. So pitch the same story, but now it's present day. And instead of an alien planet, it's like it's a valley in India that is about to be flooded. So so again, the clock of a natural disaster, the species native to this valley are about to become extinct. Well, it's pitch it, never hear anything back. So it goes into the ground. Three months later, Mike and I sell Medieval, which is a script we're really most known for, and it's sort of free hunted meets usual suspects. It's it's a sort of crazy carnival of carnage with Vikings and ninjas and Shaolin monks and all that stuff. The whole script is another story on its own, but we sell it in a massive bidding war. It was the biggest back sale of that year, and it just completely changed the trajectory of our careers. So within weeks of that sale, we are at Fox because they want to talk to us about stuff. And very quickly in that meeting comes up Predators. So we're like, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, look, you, you, I don't know if they'll go for this take, but we we have everything already map, mapped out. And this, this, this idea of Super Predators is something that I've been passionate about for years. So Mike loved it. So we, we're locked and loaded. So we go and meet with Robert. And the interesting about, thing about the project, which you guys might know about, is there was no script because the, the project came about because Alex Young, who was the, the head of the, the division at the time, realized we have a Robert Rodriguez script. So that's a way, that's a natural way to, to involve Robert, who has become a very prolific filmmaker. So his name means a lot. Nobody was like, okay, now we have to really use the script. It was like, look, let's use the script as a, as a jump off point for, for creative conversation. And I got to say to Robert's credit, he was never like, well, in my script, it was this. And so it was just Robert is going to be involved. He's not going to, he's not a director. He's going to produce. And we want to hear what, what you would do. So we, we, we go meet with Robert. Could not have been more gracious. And we talked about what was in his script and, and he was just like talking about ideas. And I remember we sent in a document which had two takes. One was the, the future idea that I talked to you guys about. And the other one was it, it, it was a take involving the worst of the worst, which would become the element of predators. I think it was this. It was both takes, by the way, were very much it's predator versus predator. That was that was our big idea. We knew that was going to be what what's going to separate us from all, all the other writers. So so the the future version was one one idea. The other idea I believe was present day, and it involved the dirty dozen assembly of characters, like mercenaries and criminals, who all have to work together to survive. And I, I'm, I'm blanking now a little bit on what what the particular aspect was. I, I don't think it was because they're brought to an alien planet. But that one was set on Earth. But it was that idea, which was the pivot from Predator, where it's brothers in arms, soldiers. So it's people who are not heroes or not soldiers who are predators in their own right. So we send in these two takes. That gets us the gig. We beat out uh, several other writers who were in it. And uh, and then what, what came back was like this whole idea of space in the future. Not so much. But we love the idea of the rogue scout. We love the idea of the worst of the worst. And obviously the predator upgrade. So that's where it sort of became 
But, but I think that that's actually, now that I look at it, maybe the, the, the idea of the alien planet, which was in Robert's version and was also in, in one of the versions that I talked about, that maybe that's where it all matched together. Because really what happened is we just started pulling from all these diff- different ideas that, that we've been experimenting with over the years and ended up with kind of like this hodgepodge of elements, which is alien planet, upgrade, and the worst of the worst, which, which became the foundation for the movie. So that, that is a very lengthy answer, too. Oh, they're the best answers. What were those early conversations with Robert like? Like, did you come aboard with him already knowing where this new version of Predators was going? Or did you both kind of deconstruct his draft and start from scratch? The latter, because we knew that we wanted to do something new, right? Which his script attempted to do. We knew that was too expensive. And, and we knew that Arnold as a lead was not getting it. So we, we had to have a different lead. But yeah, all the conversations were, I don't think there was any point where he was like, well, that wasn't my script and, 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 and therefore it needs to be in the movie. We liked the image of a crucified predator, which is, I think the only kind of direct link between the two was we just like that image. So we put it in the, in the movie. And I guess the idea of the, the alien planet was, as I said, was in my very first original idea and, and it was in his. And, and then we sort of played with what the alien planet was. But beyond that, it was just really, A, we're making the movie. So we've got to figure this out quickly. B, let's make it cool. Let's make it exciting. Let's not disappoint the fans. Did you have the opportunity to read it then before you actually started working on your own incarnation? Did you already read Robert's? I read it years ago with Fox, and, and then they send it to us again. I believe sort of just saying, hey, just read it so you guys know what we have, but don't be beholden to it. Yeah, it's interesting to me in Hollywood when you have just a, a merging of two different ideas that have kind of been in the minds of different filmmakers for a while. Another sci-fi movie I really like is called Pandorum, if you've heard of that one. Paul and Paul's producing partner. And Paul was involved yeah. with that, too. I don't mm-hmm. know it, but yeah, I, 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 I know these guys. I know I, I know the project. Yeah, but that, that project very much, the story came about in a similar way in which I believe it was the director and another writer had two different sci-fi ideas and they kind of merged them into one hybrid movie. So that, that is cool that you were able to take your script and take Robert's script and kind of create this new, completely original script that incorporated ideas from both. I, I think I remember, sorry, going back to the... Uh, the takes that got us a job. So I think the first take actually was possibly employing Schwarzenegger and Schwarzenegger being teamed up with the worst of the worst. Mm. So them being used, Schwarzenegger being used as a, as a decoy. But again, that, that's where I remember that specifically the worst of the worst idea. The studio was like, well, you guys clearly had a lot of ideas, but the one we loved other than the upgrades, because th- that, that was like just everybody was like, yeah, that's happening. That's a given. But the one that they, the, the second idea that they loved very quickly was the Rose Gap. It is one of the more interesting aspects of, of, of the film, you know, as well, is this idea of everybody who just has no relationship with each other or are predators in their own rights. You know, it's fun to watch and I imagine so much fun to write as well in terms of interactions. And the idea was that you want to create a group where any one of these guys could have been a star in their own movie. And we even, this is kind of jumping ahead in the story, we started like, how do we create homages to iconic characters? So Cuchillo, whose name means knife in Spanish, he was supposed to be machete. <laughs> um, nice. 
He said to Robert over the Christmas break, like, we want to write the part for Danny Trejo because we, we want to have Machete versus Predator. He goes, it will never happen. Like, never happen. We're like, can we write? He goes, sure, but it will never happen. That's exactly what, what we got Danny Trejo. But yeah, so Hanzo is, like, I know where the name came from. It came from Hitori Hanzo because we're like, okay, this Chill, great Bill. Bill, this, this great sword master, that's the guy that finds his way on the planet. So as you really, as I said, we, we wanted to make you feel like it's not like, oh, it's a bunch of guys with cannon fodder. It is stars of their own anti-hero movie who could have dropped, dropped in. And they, they did, I don't know, these ever saw the light of day, but, but Robert had us write a bio for each character and they did something for like EPK from behind the scenes where they talked about the, about each character. Now, the newer Predator films have been cursed a little in regards to early drafts. So, early drafts of Predators leaked and early draft of the, the Predator leaked. So, you know, people got their hands on, on these early takes on of the concepts, you know, really early on before the film came out. And the draft we got from you, from Predators, dated 12th of July, 2019. 2009. Was- 2009, sorry, was actually your second take on the film, so it wasn't the first draft. Now, before we start talking about the incarnation that we got, could you tell us about your first and how that differed from, you know, the the direction the film eventually took? All right, so that's another great story. So we get the job. So now let's resume the chronology of it. So so we, we send in this document with two different takes. We get the job. We fly to Austin for several days. It was Mike, myself, and Drew Carvella who is another unsung hero in this project. He was our day-to-day at Fox, and I have to say the movie does not get made without him. Alex Young obviously was the one who set it all in motion, so he he gets massive credit for it. But the one who just, because the train was moving so quickly, and and you just needed to make very quick decisions, Drew was the one who was making sure that they were were getting made. So it's very us. we go go to Austin. By the way, funny aside story, there's a point where movie almost doesn't happen because 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 we could have gotten shot uh, we were staying in this apartment complex well where they gave us an apartment and we got the number of so we spent all day in meetings with robert we go back to the apartment late no none of us remember what the apartment was so we, we just oh, kind of man. so we go around looking for the mat uh, for a key into the mat we find it we open one door there's a dude with a shotgun who, who was <laughs> Wrong apartment. So yeah, that 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 happened. So we have a series of conversations, which is kind of like mapping out what the movie is going to be. Then we go up and write, and basically we have a hard deadline. Script needs to be in by certain date. We send in our Act One, which is fairly close to what you guys see. There was just more characters. We went for ten little Indians, so it was ten. Actually, one of the guys was like a ISIS type guy. There was a guy who was a tracker, a South African mercenary tracker. And I forget who another guy was, but, but so, so we start with, with more. So we send in those pages of Fox. They're great. Fantastic. Keep going. So now this is where the story takes a completely radical turn from what you guys see. The, the story that becomes that our guys are captured in at the end of act one, actually, page 35. And they're thrown into some, some gladiatorial combat where predators have them fight other species that have been brought to this planet. So, so that, that idea was there. But then very quickly we escape 
escape by by breaking uh by breaking out and breaking out one of the original predators that is imprisoned there. So the rest of the story is we, we are running to 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 a predator ship across a variety of terrains. So it wasn't just jungle. It was at one point it was desert. At one point we go through through a mountain. There's a big action sequence in a cave. But we're being chased by super predators by the upgrades, and this is where you have the falcons and 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 the bloodhounds employed in a much bigger capacity. There was all sort of like super predator tech that you haven't seen before. I remember there was a thing, and that that stayed in the movie for a while beyond the first trap, where they're tracking our guys based on the ripples on the water. There was a thing where our guys jostle some plant and they reconstruct based on like them passing through the cloud of, cloud of pollen where they see the imprint that they left. And there's just a lot of really cool futuristic te- tech stuff. So a series of running fights. We ultimately get to the Predator ship. And over the course of it, the Royce character, the character who become Royce, forges a relationship with the woman in the crew. And, and also Predator is in it. Like you, you actually forge a relationship with the Predator who... And we like the idea that it's a creature that is sentient, that can communicate, that has honor. No lengthy conversation, but he would have a line here and there or, or a gesture to cue us into his state of mind. And so it, it, it's like the equivalent of take it in Predator 2, like moments like that when you, you feel like you're getting to know this creature. So you get to the ship. The, the, the remainder of the posse shows up. Predator dies there, gives his life to allow our guys to escape. The woman gets captured by, by super predators. Our, our guy takes off. So that's when he does the sort of the, the noble thing, the wild bunch storm, where he comes back around, lands the ship of the predator compound, liberates the predators who are held there. And the final action sequence, and I swear to God, this is like, like my biggest regret that this never saw the light of day is it's a Braveheart style predator battle between two clans with our guy putting on the predator armor and leading the originals against the upgrade. So that, that like to, to this day is just like such an awesome, amazing sequence. And then he wins the, and he becomes the chief of the predator. So we do all this, we send the script to the studio and we were like, so psyched about it. And we knew it was expensive. Yes. But we were like, look guys, we wrote it big, but there's a way to scale it down. And what has happened over the course of it, Nimrod gets brought in while we were writing. And Nimrod has different versions of the movie he's had. So very quickly, basically, the conversation becomes, guys, this draft is not working. It's to this. It's to that. we got to start over. And now we've burned all this time because, remember, like the, the movie's supposed to come out. So basically, we your task to write a brand new script in 10 days. Oh, man. 10 days. God. So when it when it turned out Fox wanted to explore a different direction, I mean, what what was the next step for you? Had they given you some direction and it was uh, a case of refinement, or you? It sounds more like you just gone back to the drawing board. Well, there was a case of refinement in the first act because largely they were happy with Act One. Again, it ended up being vastly scaled down of fewer characters, but but like at least it would say it was a it was a big rewrite, but but it's not a complete discard. And then everything beyond that was a complete discard. And, and again, I think what it was is we just had greater ambitions. We, we felt like let's let's give the fans something they have not seen before. Let let let's go for broke. And we knew as as I said that that was probably too expensive for what they wanted. 
But we're like, you can you can discard all this stuff, but like just the idea of the idea that we loved and the one idea that I wish we kept was the notion that the guy puts on the predator armor and, and becomes a predator himself to fight superior death. And uh, and of course some version of the team. When Nimrod b- b- gets brought in, like I said, he had he had a much different version of the movie in his head. And really the the, the thought was, look, we we gotta stick to Predator War, let's sit closer to what the original movie was with the addition of the upgrade, the alien planet, and the worst of the worst. So those are the marching warriors. Now go write the script. So they gave us offices at Fox in the basement. And for the next 10 days, we were there just doing insane hours, just like churning out pages. I remember watching the, or not watching, hearing the 4th of July fireworks in the basement of Fox. The final thing we had to pull an all-nighter. The Nolan story, which you're going to ask me about later, is directly sort of linked to the pace in which the the, the, the draft was written. And yeah, it was just, I, I would say the closest to screenwriting combat that I've ever gotten. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was a point in the movie, uh, no, not a point in the movie, although it felt like a movie. There was a point toward the end where Mike and Nimrod almost got into a fist fight, and I'm just like between them trying to pull the because it's strict because everybody's losing their mind. And it, like you, you're going, this is now day ten, bare sleep, Im- immense stress because if you don't deliver this time, the movie's over. Everybody's done. Everybody's fired. And Mike was chewing tobacco at the, at, at the time, so he has like a massive. I don't know if you can see my head, but like basically like good ten cans stacked up on the desk that he went for over the course of ten days. We, we, we stick because we haven't showered. It's just, it's just bad. And they're, they're, I can't even remember what the fight was about, but, but like there was a point where I'm like, somebody's going to ha- end up dead and I'm going to have to help somebody bury by. <laughs> <laughs> so intense in, in far, far more unusual ways. It was like a moment out of predator. We were just like trying to survive in this jungle of screenwriting. And then, and then we send it off, and thank God the steward responded positively. Obviously, that they had notes, but it felt like the skeleton of what they want is there. So now let's let, let's go. Yeah. So that's 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 the story of the first draft. I kind I kind of miss seeing a full scale predator conflict. I, I think that's that's one of the things that the final version and the predator sort of missed a little bit was just taking that fight and making it bigger. So I I do miss miss the notion of uh, of that from yours. I, I, look, I think it, it was some of it was just budget. I mean, yeah. they, they really felt like we're making it for a number. We like the idea, but this conflict between predator and predator cannot be front and center. And the other problem that, that people have with it, which again is either right or wrong, is it's two aliens fighting one. Fundamentally, we, we don't really care. It needs to be. It needs to be about humans in jeopardy. So, which is why. The, the Predator versus Predator is still obviously in the movie, but it's more in in the background and in the foreground. We really were trying to, as you as you saw with the first version that I was talking to you guys about, we really tried to move it through the foreground of the story. On the topic of, of, the, of the Predators, then, you know, what one of the contra- controversial aspects of, of the early draft that leaked was how the Super Predators would genetically manipulate themselves, uh, which in, in that draft resulted in things like changing their blood to be black. Now, the genetic manipulation angle would ultimately not make it into the final film, with the only real, you know, allusion to that being, I think it was Nolan's line about the the difference between dogs and wolves. So we were curious as to where this was actually dropped. Was it something that actually made it into the shooting draft and, and was removed in the edit, or was that something that you and Mike dropped while you were working on the various drafts and refining? It was always a part of it. 
because the idea of like, okay, the bigger, better killers, why? And, and like, why, why are they hunting people just for sport or to make themselves a better killer? So that idea early on, we very much championed. And I know that idea survived for a variety of drafts. And I think it eventually got removed because there was just no, there was no manifestation of it. It's not like he saw, saw those guys injecting themselves with anything will become bigger and better. So at some point, it just ended up being dropped. I'm not sure when. For, for us, the, the idea of, of an upgrade based on the genetics of the prey, that was, that was, that was, that was one of the big ideas going in. Yeah, for, as a viewer, my interpretation watching the movie was always just like they were another breed or subspecies like Neanderthal predators, maybe something like that. It is kind of interesting that the next film, The Predator, did end up going with, with that idea, the whole genetic manipulation angle. To us, we never thought it was like subspecies. We just thought it was different clans like ninja and samurai. So you have a more of a traditionalist mentality, more warrior-like mentality with the original clan and more, say, practical or more anything-goes mentality with, with the upgrades, which is like, it, it's all about power. It's all about making yourself more lethal, stronger, bigger, faster, etc. It's like steroids, effectively. Like, mm. athletes compete fair and square, and athletes compete, like, I'm just going to dope myself to no end. That's that's what the that's what the other predators are. We're, what we wanted to bake into the franchise, and again, that was another idea that was at the fulcrum of what we wanted it to be was the idea: other clans out there, and there is there there's a civil war somewhere in the background, which our guys could become invested. Would it have been specifically like you know, classic as a traditionalist, and and the super predators as the tinkerers? Would it have been those just specific ones, or, or would it have pulled in like other groups together in terms of the civil war thing? You know, like Predator Two's clan and stuff like that. Two, but like I said, there were many conversations about how to build on it. Yeah, the, the whole thing was like you start with two, but in success, who's to say that there aren't five or seven? Okay. It's like there are all these different tribes. And again, that's where I still wish as a fan we've explored that because the United Universe is so fascinating because it gives you a keyhole. The first movie, here's an alien that comes in. So it's not an alien armada, just one guy. And this one guy doesn't come to conquer us. He's just here to hunt. He's just here fishing, effectively, right? What, an, what a great keyhole way into the story. So we wanted to widen the keyhole with this one and then to say but but really we're just giving you now it's a door but beyond the door there are like here be dragons and wonders and monsters like so you really can go to places you've never thought of and see things you, you could never imagine and i think in in trying to compress it back to the keyhole we've, we've kind of lost some of that voice i was wondering in your mind the the classic predator did he kind of come to that planet on his own and ended up getting captured? Or do you think he was kind of kidnapped and dropped on the planet just like the human characters were? It was never discussed. No. So I, okay. I probably, if you were to press me on this issue, I would say probably wasn't kidnapped, probably. We, we just thought that he, of course, he would be there as a prey to be hunted. No, actually, of course, well, see, his ship is there, so he must have come. Hmm. As, we, as we now unpack it, yes. So, so he, he must have come there because his ship is there. Gotcha. And moving on to the the human characters, we always found Royce to be very interesting lead. You know, he's not your traditional protagonist, and we don't even learn his name until the very end of the film. Can you tell us about the conceptualization of Royce? Did you find him difficult to write? No. So, all right. I, I, again, this was this was 
a big thing that we wanted to go for. Dutch is the leader of men. Dutch is like, leave no man behind. He is a soldier. So what's the opposite of that? The opposite of that had to be mercenary. The opposite of that had to be a guy who is cynical, disillusioned, a former version of Dutch, if you will. We always thought of, of, of Royce as somebody who started out from the good place as Dutch and then shit happened. And now he is a version of Jason Bourne, a man, either a man hunted or, or a hunter. There was a, a number of different openings that we did for him. The, the original we pitched was, was him being dropped, but the studio was said, well, can we meet, can we, can we get to know him more before this? So of course we, we went and wrote a bunch of different versions. There was a, there was a version where you saw a bunch of guys, soldiers being hunted and you think it's Predator, but it's Royce. He, he, he's the one who is hunting and killing soldiers in some foreign country. There is a reason why we describe him as like a Steve McQueen face. Cause we were like, Steve McQueen, that was his speciality, playing these anti-heroes. There is a reason why he has only one name because of, like, I love the uh, Richard Stark novels with the Parker character, the professional thief. It, it only has one name, Parker. So, like, that's where that came from. So, um, his voice was just really easy because it's a guy who doesn't joke a lot. It's a guy who doesn't fraternize a lot. And he's a survivor. He doesn't want to be leaving these guys. He, he sort of becomes a de facto, but he's, he's all about survival. Yeah, the casting with the, the casting of Eddie Brody, which I'm going to talk about later, was surprising. But just writing that character, and I, I'd say that that's the character that they changed the least from draft to draft. He's always this guy who desperately does not want to be a hero, does not want to lead men. He just wants to get the fuck out of here. And it's him becoming a leader and becoming a savior despite himself. It very nearly goes. It very nearly doesn't come back, does it? Was there ever any temptation to just go all the way, but or was it just always planned that you know he he would have that arc? We, we know like he has to come back because what works about these these stories is fundamentally you know that deep down there is a shred of humanity and a shred of goodness in there, and like you know that Han Solo is going to come back to to, to help you. You know that in Wild Bunch, these guys are going to turn around, Magnificent Seven, they're going to turn around. It's just making this moment so satisfying where you're like, finally, you've become the guy I've always thought you could be. So yeah, there, was, there was never a version of like, oh, he flies off and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Fair enough. So the the character of, of Edwin and the casting of Topher Grace was another element that we found particularly interesting with Predators. Now, I've always thought he was a really fascinating concept, but personally, he's the one character in the film that I'm not overly convinced with in the final product. So can you tell us a little bit about the thinking behind his character and how you feel about the finished effort? Well, so that idea was... That, that, that's one of the characters that survived in the first draft. Um, I think it was Mike's idea. And I got to say, I think it's pretty fucking genius. Because, okay, putting yourself in the mindset of, okay, so we're going to do something different here. And, of course, you're going to have your prototypical soldier. And we, we have our sheriff soldiers in, in this thing from, from different special units from different countries. Obviously, we had to have the Russian guy and all of Tatar was, was like, we became friends off of this, but he was like, finally, a Russian guy who's not a monster. He was a hero. And then, okay, there's some criminals also, of course. Like, how can we give, again, in, in the spirit of how can we give fans what they, what something that feels fresh? Who is the biggest predator on earth and arguably not on the combat setting, which is expected? 
not in the streets, which is, okay, fine, that you, you got your criminals, but you have your criminals and predator too. What's, what's a new spin? And I got to say, whether or not some people like it and some people hate it, it's a pretty interesting idea that Hannibal Lecter also finds his way onto this planet. So in the, the, the only major difference was in the first draft, he was like, you knew from the get-go what, what he was and who he was. It, and we sort of used Steve Buscemi from Con Air as a prototype as like, you know, the, 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 the guy who is a, a mass murderer and he's got his, his, like, they, they, they're dropped in and they all have their weapons and his weapons are like these knives and scalpels and just really creepy dude. Now, over the course of it, it shifted to, hey, let's play him as somebody who is going to be dangerous coming not only from the outside, but with, from within the group, which which was also an element in, in our first draft where eventually he turns on the group, but but it's a little bit more expected because you know he's a serial killer, so but, duh, of course he's going to turn on so, but, but there the idea was, oh, it's a nice guy and, and he's going to turn on the group. And there I have to say, again, execution aside and like people, a lot of people hate it. The notion that there is a predator in, embedded among predators and he's like a chameleon hiding in plain sight and everybody's carved up that the super predators, the original predator, our guys. And here is somebody who is quite possibly the most dangerous of, of the lot because you don't see him coming. I think it was a really interesting idea. I'd never argue with the concept of it. I, like I said, I, I find him fascinating just purely as a, as a concept for what you're saying. My, my, my problems just in, in the turn, in the execution. Yeah. But I, I honestly wish they would have kept in the deleted scene between him and Royce where Royce was skeptical of, of why he was there. And I think that kind of made us a little bit more uneasy about him, but also didn't give away who he really was. I don't know, because it, it, it was would have still shown the turn too early, I think, that particular scene. Now, I can't speak much to the execution. I'll, I'll be honest because I have not seen the movie in my movie. I haven't seen it in a long time just because you get so close to it. And again, I, I see what's, what's not on the screen. I, I, I see what we were trying to do, what didn't find its way there, which is why actually it's, it's so meaningful to hear from fans and say, Hey, I really enjoyed what you did. But yeah, I mean, look, I hear you. Everything could have been done better. What, what I, what I will defend is. I think the ideal of a character like Edwin is a really cool idea, and I'm glad that it's something that we came up with early, and that actually, unlike all the other stuff, managed to survive various changes and alterations. Yeah, that's fair. So you, you've you've already talked in in some degree, you know, about this next question, and and that is that naturally when any Predator-related film starts to come out, everybody is always curious as to whether or not Arnie and Dutch are going to be involved. And it sounds like Fox was always very keen to make sure Arnie was involved. Also sort of a failing they have with Ripley and the Alien films. And the fans are always... It's always the first question. So we, we know he was approached regarding Predators. Robert talked about it. Nimrod talked about it. And we saw an alternative ending in, in your leaked second draft. But how far did that go in terms of you and the writing? Were there, were there any other versions of Dutch throughout the writing of, of Predators? Yeah, it was actually. So obviously there's the one that you are aware of. And that, that's, I have to say that that was, I so wish that happened because I remember us talking about it and we're like, if this happens, and I remember saying this to Nimrod, if we're in the back of an audience in, in, in Westwood on the opening night and Arnold comes on, the whole fucking theater is going to stand up and cheer because it's like, and now he's the Predator War Chief. Like, how awesome is that? So the other idea, there was a draft where the Nolan character became Dutch, where how, why, Robert said, well, maybe, maybe we can actually get him for like a more serious part. And 
why not have him be the Nolan character? So there the notion was that Dutch has been brought here and he's been surviving here and he's kind of lost it. So he still has the darkness of the Nolan character, but it's Dutch. I don't think it was ever, so it was explored. I don't think it was ever serious. And I, I don't think anybody wanted to see Dutch as this d- dark anti-hero. So it, it was just one draft and never, never really took off from there. I'm struggling to remember here. Was was Nolan in? Yeah, Nolan was in that second draft, wasn't he? He was, but so this is now third or fourth draft, probably fourth, where what it was, it's like we find Dutch, he finds our guys, take him, takes him into the compound, and then tries to rob him and kill them because he's a savant. So it was still all the moves of the Nolan character, just Dutch and with kind of more of the backstory of Dutch. And it's, it was tried for one draft and, and never really went beyond that. Would, would he still have, did he still get killed and blown up and everything then? Right, right. And he gets killed much like, much like the, the Nolan character gets killed. Which was, which is another reason I think it was an exploration, not a real attempt. Whereas with the cameo at the end, yeah, everyone was like, yes, let's try for that. That was more of an exploration, like, do we like it or not? And it's just something that Robert wanted to try. And again, he was like, well, maybe Arnold wants to die in the movie, something like that. But I, I don't think that draft was, uh, was ever shown. So is is that is that the story regarding Nolan that you were alluding to earlier, or, or is there a bit more? There's a whole other Nolan story. Okay. The Nolan story has to do with so I go back and they were working on on, on Predators. So in Nimrod's mind, the movie that he wanted to take was just a relentless pressure cooker, where like it starts, it doesn't stop. We're like great. But when we do our first pass of the script, the script ends up being sixty-seven pages. Ooh. Very short. Yeah, that's like seventy minutes, isn't it? Right, because because like if you if it's just because a lot of the stuff was like I I love the pressure of the original. We want to keep keep it going, and as a result, a lot of the dialogue stuff we wanted to do. He's like, no, it's got to move, move, move. You say two lines, don't say five. So as a result, we end up with this sixty-seven page script. We're like. Remember, it doesn't work. He's like, yes, you're right. It doesn't work. So now we're all scratching our heads in the 11th hour trying to figure out how the movie needs a slowdown. It needs a, a moment where they're in relative safety, where we can also explain some of the stuff that has happened. And Mike, to his credit, that was, that was another Mike idea. He goes, what if they find a survivor? And I was like, what, what, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't get it at first. And the more he talked about it, I was like, oh, so you're talking about it. I remember I said, so you're talking about Robinson Crusoe. He goes, yes. And then it all started clicking where it was like, oh, it's Robinson Crusoe, the guy who's been stranded there for a very long time. And thematically, what, what appealed to me was, I, I remember I said, well, why don't we make him into Dark Mirror of Rose? I'm, I'm a big fan of these Dark Mirrors, like Batman and Rose of the Witch Trials Mirror, but it's vengeance taken to, to extreme. So it's survivalism. So it's a guy much like Royce, but now he's been here for whatever number of years. And it's all about me. It's all about surviving at any cost, which is what he turns into. So Nimrod liked all this. So we presented this to Nimrod. He liked all this. And when we went and wrote it, because fundamentally, when you think about it, the Nolan section, it's very modular. You can lift it out of the movie and it wouldn't have any substantial repercussions on the story. It just that there are some character themes. And, and this is when we talk about there are different clans and all that stuff. So we kind of get into the, the mythology, which we desperately wanted to do. But when I met Lawrence Fishburne, and I got to say, very early on, even I think over the course of their writing of, of it, the Fishburne idea was thrown out because Neymar worked with him before in Armour. And he goes, I, I can get Larry Fishburne to do it, I think. So I, when I met Larry Fishburne one, one night, 
I said to him, do you know why your character is in the movie? He goes, why? I said, because we, could, because we couldn't make the font any bigger. <laughs> the, the biggest we could make the font, it was 67 pages. And we're like, we need to add pages to it. As you remember, that, that second draft is still pretty short for a feature. So it was like, we, we need to drop in a section where like, it beefs it up more. So that, that's why no one was in the movie. Oh, that's funny. And when it comes to later series entries, there tends to be a lot of discussion around homages and Easter eggs. Now, it's an interesting one for Predators, as sometimes people accuse it of being a remake or a retread of the original, which is something, Aaron, both you and I disagree with. We feel the film is very much, a, it has its own identity. Alien vs. Predator Requiem is another film that tends to get that criticism levied at it. And when we spoke to Liam O'Donnell, who was involved with that film about it, he talked about how it came from a play of insecurity regarding the film they were making. I was curious as to how you feel about homages in franchise films and how fair of a criticism do you think it is when it comes to Predators? I think it's both a fair criticism and an unfair one. But the reason why I, I told you guys all these different versions that I've explored before prior to, to being hired to write this and then the version that Mike and I ex explored together was the first draft. Like, you have to understand something. I'm, I'm taking a step back from, from the premise for one second. There's a script that you want to write, the script that you, they let you write in the movie that you see. And it's, it, it is, in the current climate, virtually impossible to do something truly original, partially because every story has been told, partially because studios don't want to take chances. Movies are an investment. So in the minds of the studio, what we were going for, and again, I'm going to adopt their their side for, 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 for a second as a former executive. I get it. It's writing like Predator Civil War. It's more expensive. If you're venturing into new territory, you know, you know people love their original. So if you keep closer to their original, then there's a greater chance that the fans will respond. If you go too far out, there's a chance of people go, what the fuck was that? It's a dance. And there are reasons why these choices are being made. Do I wish we kept some of the ideas that, that pushed it further into new territory? As I said, the ambition for us, for Mike and I, was to do aliens. Like we, we talked about it endlessly, how it honors everything that's great about the original, but elevates to, to the next level. That's what we're shooting for. I don't think we got there. So do I wish some of the ideas that were truly original unique survived? Absolutely. Do I understand why they didn't survive? Yeah. So I, I feel like it, that's why I said it's a fair and unfair criticism because at the end of the day, the, the feeling was you want to be not an homage, but not, not, not a repeat, but you want there, there's a formula that's working with a predator. Movie. So let, let's stick with that formula, but also update it with new stuff. And I, I think people tend to overlook. And again, I understand the place they're coming from, but I think they tend to overlook these other ideas such as, Oh, it's an alien planet. Oh, it's actually not the band of brothers but a group of outsiders and killers who are forced to work together. The notion that they, there is a predator, the old predators, but then there's a predator within their group who's going to turn on them. The notion of the upgrades, which I, I, and predator versus predator, which I totally understand, kind of gets shoved into the background. But th these are big ideas here. Whether or not they get the play and the attention they deserve, that's up to the fans. But I do feel like, I do feel like there is enough in it, in it to, to say, well, we didn't just rip off the original and just basically remade it with different casts. I think there, there's enough in it to, to, to stand on its own. Yeah. And to reiterate, Aaron, you and I, we, 
we both love the movie. We don't consider it to be a ripoff. I mean, there there are similar beats for sure, especially with I think the music sounds very Alan Silvestri and the score and some of the, some of the characters like uh, Hanzo facing Falconer is is pretty evocative of of Billy facing the Predator in the original. But at the same time, those core concepts of these are people who don't know each other. This is an alien planet. You have warring predator factions. Really gives the film its own identity in my book. Yeah, and look, we, we knew Predator and still do beat by beat. So, of course, there had to be a moment where somebody turns around and faces. And we, we talk about the Billy moment, but you don't see the Billy moment. It's just a scream. So now we're like, okay, we're going to show you what it's going to look like. And now it's going to be this awesome Kurosawa moment. And he's going to win. I mean, he's going to lose too, but he's going to win. So it is fair to say that, that, that that's what we were going for. It, it is the Billy moment. Absolutely, where we're, when we're writing it, but we said we're going to give it to you in a, in a in a kind of different way with a different outcome. As I said, you actually get to see it, the big gun, right? So, so we were like, okay, that, there's got to be the big machine gun in the movie. But we're like, let's give it to the Russian, and then then he has this whole really nice joke about having to love this machine gun in the in the <laughs> So again, there I feel because I think some of the just criticism comes comes from it's another jungle, which is fair and that's ultimately you know that's that's the budget it would have been more expensive to to to, to shoot anywhere else that i get but but i i feel like like we we purposely try to find moments that you go oh it's kind of like the original but these guys found their own spin on it. the film is so structurally different to predator which is the thing that it's why i get a nervous twitch up here when i when i read somebody call it a, a re uh, remake is like it's completely different the structure's completely different it's just certain elements certain moments and that's why i hate that because it's it's your moments like you're talking about with hanzo where it's it's a moment of love and extension of the original you know it's not lifting a sequence dropping it in because that's what they expect you know, it comes from completely different places. And, and yeah, I, I will never, ever not get my back up about, about that complaint when it comes to defending it. I think even the setting of the jungle was was unique for the film. I mean, the location scouting was very strong and how they were able to merge the locations of Hawaii and Austin, Texas in the way that they did. And I mean, if, if you knew what you're looking for, you can tell, oh, that's that's Austin, that's Hawaii. But still, to most viewers, the, the transition between those those two locations was, was very seamless, I thought. So it doesn't look like the jungle of the first movie. It doesn't look like a South American jungle. It looks like its own unique setting for this story. And and even like the things like those weird rocky rocky areas with the, you know the the pits and the the water pits you know that kind of thing gives it a visually distinctive appearance to to the first one as well. Another one of our favorite aspects of Predators is the introduction of the river ghost creature. The idea of other extraterrestrial prey was introduced in Predator 2, though originally planned for a predator, but it was something that Rodriguez featured heavily in his original treatment, and it was an element that we're glad made it into your version. Could you tell us a bit about the conception of the river ghost, how, if at all, he changed over the course of development, and if you had further ideas for him that existed outside of the script? Well, I didn't even know that the name was River Ghost until I listened to the Nima podcast. I think we talked about like the stig bug or something like that. 
No, it was really just the idea that, that, that there were other things in this planet. As I said, that that was always that was in Robert's draft. That was in our first draft. We just always loved the idea that this is this is the preserve. So so humans are the aren't the only prey there. But no, I, I don't think we ever had a real story behind them. Yeah, the 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 the, the, the only. Character, alien character had much more screen time was the original Predator in, in the first draft. It was, as I said, from page 35 on till the end of the second act was, was a companion and a guide for, for, for our guys as they're being hunted, but not, not really with a rubber ghost. That, that came from the uh, effects crew, by the way. That's what they um, uh, named him. Wasn't there, I can't remember, there was an idea for a shapeshifter as well, right, Aaron? Yeah, that, that, that was Robert, uh, not Robert, that was Nimrods. We talked about that with him. Oh, right. He is correct. That was that was his idea that he threw in about Isabel being a shapeshifter. That Mike and I were what? And he's like, just try to work. And we're like, okay. And and we put it in and and didn't really get any traction. But it it, it it was yeah, it was coming from the same place of like there are other things that have been dropped here. So what if she's one of those things? Uh, Predators also released with some expanded media of its own in the way of several Dark Horse comics, including prequel stories, an adaptation of the film itself, and then a sequel. How aware of the tie-ins were you? Very vaguely, and we're not involved at all. I think I have in my library some comic book uh, about Royce's story, but yeah, I just found it in the comic book store and bought it, but we were not involved at all, so... Yeah, they released a paperback with with all the stories. Did they release individuals of those two, Aaron? Were there individual comics or they did singles of the prequel, which was a four issue run. Then they did the adaptation, which was its own extended thing, and then they did the sequel, which was a one shot. And then they just brought them all together for a single trade. Gotcha. So, despite a pretty positive critical response and you know a good box office returns. And and that the act Brody and uh, Braga were were contracted for sequels. We we never saw one. So as as far as we know, Isabel and Royce are still fighting for survival on that preserve. While you were working on Predators, did either you or Mike have any sort of thoughts on on where you would have liked to have seen the story go? Several, and there were actually several meetings with the studio about that. But are you guys going to ask me about casting? Because that's another interesting story. Should we talk about that? By, by all means. Well, it's not about casting. So. The big thing there is obviously it's Brody. So so here's how this came about. People ask me sometimes, like, do you picture actors when 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 you write characters? The answer is no. But so we we you know we wrote this kind of Steve McQueen type character. But in our internal conversation, when we're talking about the code would be a good Royce, we we had two actors in mind, which was Vin Diesel, strictly because of Pitch Black, or like, well, that, that's he he gave us kind of a human predator. But we, we thought, well, there's no way he, he'll probably want to do it because he's got pitch black. But the other guy was Jerry Butler because of 300. <laughs> okay. Leonidas versus Predator. That would be cool. So lo and behold, his agents were interested for him. But he wanted way too much money. And so that was a non-server. But like the, there was in some ultimate universe, there is a version where Jerry Butler is, is Royce. And it's, it's like I said, it's Leonidas versus Predator. So now here's how the whole thing came about. So they started casting the movie. The first stop was Clive Owen because of Robert's relationship with him um, on Sin City. Clive Owen passes. Then they go to Jamie Foxx. He passes. Then they go to Michael Fassbender. He passes. Oh, wow. That would have been weird. 
Well, again, this you have to rewind the clock. This is you know to ten years ago. So, but so so we got three passes. And meantime, the production is moving forward, and I, I believe they were casting other parts. But we still don't have our voice. Adrian came about because they offered him the Topher Grace part because they're like, oh yeah, you're gonna be the weird serial killer dude. He's like, no 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 no, I want to be the McQueen guy because literally there was a line in the script like he's got a Steve McQueen voice. And I was like, no, I want to be that guy. And that's when it, the conversation started. We weren't, weren't previewed to it. This is kind of secondhand. We're just like, wait, hold on a sec. Well, we're, we're, we're not going for the expected. We're going for the unexpected. What about a guy who does not have the physicality of Arnold, who's kind of leaner, smaller, but you know what? He can move. And it was the whole thing of was like, okay, shit, he's got an Academy Award winner. He's a real actor. What if you got a real actor play this part? So I think it was a combination of A, we just needed somebody because the movie's is getting made. And and two, it was like, well, hold on a second. If we're going for different, this guy is very different. And I remember Mike and I were like, next there's a conversation, it's Woody Allen versus the alien. Like, we're like, what are you guys talking about? And I have to say, like watching the movie, he delivers. Oh God, yeah. And I have to say, like, there are things that I wish were different about the movie. I have to say, Adrian Brody is not one of them. He he really like he got an amazing fucking shape. He he committed. He has the right look. The right the like you believe that this guy is a killer. <laughs> the irony is he get, gets in this amazing shape. He gets really buff, and then he was down with some stomach flu. And by the time he was at the in the air, he like lost all, all the muscle he put on his back to me. <laughs> oh no! So so yeah, yeah. That's how the Adrian Brody of it all came about. So he, he was he was supposed to be he was supposed to be Edwin. That's so interesting. The the idea of Vin Diesel, I think, is a, a fun one as well because that matchup is a, something that a lot of people tend to. You know, you have your, like your your fan arguments of who who'd win in a fight between such and such and such and such, and um, Riddick and, and the Predators one that we see crop up quite a few times. So that 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 would have been an, an interesting casting. Yeah, that never really like I said, that was just like something my Mike and I talked about, and we talked about Pitch Black as like this kind of prototype of here's the character is hardcore a killer survivor who makes a turn. So all that's a but. The one that was sort of interesting was just we were huge fans of 300. 300 just inspired us to do medieval. And then we could have had Jerry Butler. Like I said, CA was like mixed offer, but he wants five million. And Fox is like, five, five million? Fuck you guys. No way. <laughs> That's funny. Sequels. Now, now we're going to talk about the sequels. So the movie comes out and not a very favorable spot for a genre movie, like middle of the summer, but shockingly does really well, especially on the true student budget the movie was, was, was made for. And everyone was like, fuck, it works. Like, despite all the struggles that we've had, it worked. So what did we do? So we went in and there was a series of meetings. There was a series of takes. So the first take was, we went into Drew Kurvala, who, as I said, was kind of the unsung hero. Everybody's up for it. Robert was always up for it. Nimrod was up for it. We got to, we had to get the studio on board first. So we met with Drew and pitched him this idea. In the sequel, now this is with Royce and Isabel. They're still on the planet. They're still stuck, stuck there. And they keep dropping more people, of course. And the opening of the movie was that somebody new gets dropped and a predator shows up about to kill this person. Boom, the predator gets killed. And it's Royce and Isabel showing up saying, welcome to the resistance. 
right? So, so now they have their own little tribe on the planet where they're surviving, they're being hunted, but they're also striking back. So you kind of establish where they're. And you also establish that Royce and Isabel are incredibly valuable targets because these guys are all about the genetic upgrades, right? They want their DNA, but they're still stuck here. They've got their sort of foothold on survival, but how do we get back to it? Well, there's only one way. we got to get on their stage. So at the end of Act 1, Royce and Isabel and their guys, their crusoes, are captured by super predators on purpose because they allow themselves to be captured. And they're brought to, to their ship that they use to funnel people into this planet. There's got to be some sort of big transport. Which we were like, okay, so now you get to see this transport. So now these guys break out, our guys break out. And what the movie is, it's die hard on, on their predator ship. <laughs> oh, wow. So the, the idea was now you, you you break free and now you're trying to control, control of, of the ship with all the super predators you have to fight there. And of course, all the other shit that there's like alien zoo on that ship of how big or small we want to want to get it and get this. And this, the, the last thing is like why Drew was like, wow, I love that idea. So at the end of the day, we win, we get back to Earth, we land and we realize it's the fucking future. All along, we thought that this is happening now. But what if these guys have been on ice for like 300 years? And they said, the hatch opens and the space marines come in. As in <laughs> colonial marines from aliens. That's right. Well, we're like, that's how you merge the two worlds. The predator and the alien world finally merge and bring the space marines into the story. He goes, I fucking love it. And we just kept waiting for, for him to, to, to go and say, go write this and... I can't speak to that, but I guess some stars never lined up, and so that version never got off the ground. So, cut to, we, we, we did not give up because we were like, we just love this world. Then we went and had a series of conversations with John Davis and John Fox and Matt Riley, who was the, the executive Fox, about like, what would it take to get another Predator movie? Say it's not a direct sequel. So what I just pitched to was a direct sequel. But what if it's just kind of another way into the story. So we pitched them the idea of what happens when we knew that the Fox really responded to the idea of kind of big predator ship. What happens if the predator ship crashes on Earth and basically all the stuff that's inside a predator ship kind of spills out. And what what you have is a a guy whose family, I think it was a US Marshal, whose family's trapped in kind of this area. So he goes in to rescue his, his family while all the all the predators are basically rampaging and hunting prey in the middle of the city. So it was kind of a big Jumanji type type version. I believe it may have been also like the, some crucial component of the ship was missing and the predators were trying to recover it. Again, John Davis got behind it. Matt Riley was interested in one one thing or another. Stars never aligned and then and then they ended up going with Shane Black's version. So. When, when about was this second pitch? Because I remember, remember we heard, like, he likes your idea, but he's in the process of playing out a director. So it was, like, early, super early st- stages of The Predator. So once he got Shane Black, and Shane Black said, I, I got my own idea of how to get Predator movie, that's... Okay. You know, that. so, that's but, interesting that both one of your drafts and Shane Black's film would try and connect it to, to the Alien universe. I don't know if you had heard about some of the uh, unused endings that they shot for Shane Black's film, but they introduced some of the alien characters at the end. Yeah, I did not hear that. 
No, even even then, like some of Shane Black's ideas did involve like creatures spilling out of, of predator ships and stuff like that as well. So <laughs> the predator recycled some of your concepts, which I think is Adam's next question, actually. Though we never got Predators 2, we did eventually get a fourth film in the way of The Predator by Shane Black. It would go on to recycle the concept of genetic manipulation. Did you both see the film? And if so, what did you think of it? I think it's one question I have to keep the on. <laughs> <laughs> Every guest we've had on that's been involved in the Predator franchise has, has done the same. <laughs> we've been like, no comment. I... I, I... I can only say that I, as I said, nothing but tremendous respect for Shane Black. I wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for him. So he's absolutely my idol, but I, I can't really, you know, speak foolhardily about, about the movie. So I, I'll have to take the film. I, I actually want to, I, I want to know if while working on Musketeers, you know, you and... I was going to ask the same question, yeah. Did, did you and Anderson ever talk about his time on, on AVP at all? Not really, no, simply because that was another situation where Paul was in the middle of Resident Evil and they had a script by Andrew Davies, which I read and I was like, they wanted me to punch up the action. I was like, guys, I just, I, I love Three Musketeers. I want to do this, but I can't just punch up the action. It needs, it needs everything. It needs character. It needs, like, you can't do the same Three Musketeers you've done before a million times. And there was, but I ended up taking the job and flew to, to Toronto. Of course, I like came up with what kind of this whole idea of how I want to do it. And that when I pitched it to Paul and Jeremy and Robert Coulter, they're like, okay, well, if you can write that very quickly, then go for it. And I basically wrote the brand new script over the course of 16 days. So it was another situation like Predators where it was kind of written very quickly because there was another project going with Basil Ehrman, I think, at uh, Warner Brothers. So they, they were racing a movie, which I always find it's movies get made not because of how good the script is. Movies get made because it's a corporate decision. So they were like, look, as long as you don't fuck up, we're making the movie. So which is to say all my conversations with Paul at the time were very like free musketeers oriented. I, I, I wish there was more of a conversation about his AVP experiences. I'm sure he has many stories to tell. Like I know he has a very checkered red rep, shall we say in the fan community. The people that absolutely love him, absolutely hate, hate him. I have nothing but great things to say about that. He's a guy. He's an absolute sweetheart. Yeah. I, I like a number of his works and, and he seems like a really friendly dude from the behind the scenes material. We've, we watched of him. Event Horizon is still probably my favorite film of his. I'm not a horror guy, but I love that film. I'm hoping something comes of the, um, is it the Fright Factory? Yeah, they're looking. So there's a new Event Horizon uh, collector's uh, Blu-ray coming out this fall, and they're looking for that mysterious lost footage of all these extra scenes that he filmed of of the hell part of the movie that was a bit too uh, extreme for the studio's taste. Yeah, The Orgy of Blood. Rumor has it that that footage is lost forever. Yeah. That is actually everything from Adam and I, but we do have some questions from members of our uh, Alien vs. Predator Galaxy community. Now, (laughs) this this one's only come up because of some questions, uh, some comments that Shane Black made, but first up is our member Stitch, who would like to know what year you envisioned Predators as taking place. Well... That was always a left to interpretation, as I said to you guys in the sequel. It was we, we wanted to 
to toy with the idea that you think it's the present simply because everybody's from the same time. But what if they've been on ice for 300 years and, and Superman said, oh, yeah, we want to do like a 90s style. <laughs> it, it was just always left to interpretation. Okay. So no, no thoughts on it after the fact or anything? It's that just... No, I mean, like I said, when we're working on it, I think everybody's kind of assumed, including us, that it was taking place present day. So uh, I guess 2010. Uh-huh. So, so that all had some knowledge of the events of the first movie, but also there was some distance from it. So, yeah, I, I guess the original intelligence was 2010, and then in the sequel, we're like, well, but what if it's not? Well, interestingly enough, didn't someone who worked on The Predator say that Predators takes place after The Predator, right, Aaron? That that's when it all sort of became a question was, you know, Shane sort of I think he said that and that Predators was just well in the future. Mm. That, that that's why people wanted to know now. Also, our community member Superior Iron Man has some ownership questions. He'd like to know who the preserved planet and the ship both belong to, Berserker Predator or the classics. Now, I think you mentioned earlier in our interview here that the ship was was classic ship. But I think we had, we had talked to one of the art designers of the film who had said that that was meant to be the Berserker ship and maybe the classic Predator had just hacked it to take control of it or something. Yeah, I think this is sort of, I can always speak to what was in Mike's mind and my own, which is we thought it was the Super Predator planet and the ship was classic Predator ship. Gotcha. That's kind of what I had originally thought as well until we, we had that quote from the, uh, I think it was the art story. designer. Yeah. Cradan would like to know why crucified was crucified. Was there like some specific crime he committed, or was is that just what the the berserker predators do to their enemy predators to the classic? Again, this is just our perspective. In our mind, that's what they that's what they do to the classics. This is what to to show their superiority. It's kind of a mockery of them, then. Correct. And, 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 and again, what in our mind was and this going going back to kind of the extended universe or like behind the scenes. We thought that there was a planned war going on, and so so really, it's not just it's not just about the hunt. It's different philosophy, different culture, different aspects. So it's basically to and I keep calling super predators somebody because that, that, that's what they were now the original thing. It's like you're you're looking down somebody from the evolutionary chain from 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 a place of superiority, which is like he's he's not just captured, he's crucified. Hmm. And next, we've got two questions, both along the same line and both from community member Sill. He would like to know, which was your favorite scene to see up on the big screen? There were a couple. So three come to mind. One is there is a moment when Roy says, here's what they're doing. And Isabel says, how do you know this? And he looks at her and says, because that's what I would do. And I remember that moment watching the movie for the first time. and He just nails it. Basically, he's saying, I, because I'm a hardened killer and because, because I'm a monster just like them. And, and that's what I would do. And he just nails the delivery. And he's like, yes. You know, always as a writer, you direct movies in your head. And he just nailed it so perfectly where it was as good. It was as sounded as good on the screen as it sounded in my head. So I love that moment. The other moment, ironically, is so there is a moment where Isabel says to him, what's your deal with? What made you so fucked up? The story of his answer is this. We wrote some, some, some speech, which I remember being quite good, where he talks about something, whatever happened. And that's obviously not in the movie. Apparently, they were going to shoot the scene just as we wrote it. And then Ellis Braga found this quote from Hemingway, which is in the movie. And 
he talks about once you once you've hunted men, you, you can never be free of the rush. Whatever he says, I don't remember the exact quote, just that it was by Hemingway. And it was so awesome. And Mike and I were like, whatever we wrote is not nearly as good as that. Because it just spoke volumes about it's Hemingway. It's this archetypal hunter. And this clearly, this guy's intelligent enough to read Hemingway. So so just love that. And here, it's a complete departure from what they did. But it's, it's the spirit for what we were going for just made better. And the third moment is... It's a lot from Walt Goggins' character. And by the way, like, we love that Walt Goggins was in the movie. I'm a huge S.H.I.E.L.D. fan. And I remember when we were writing the movie, we found out he's, it's, it's Walt. We're like, okay, we're going to give him the best lines. In the but they brought in Jimmy Vanderbilt for maybe two weeks to punch up some stuff. He didn't see credit. It's like his name is not on the movie. But some of my favorite lines, especially the one I'm about to mention is his, so I can't take credit for it. It's when Walt Goggins goes, when I get out of here, I'm going to be so slow. <laughs> so many, so many hookers. And, and, and it was just like, always gets a huge laugh. And that's, that's a Jimmy Vanderbilt vibe. Yeah, that was a fun scene. Uh, you you've just made me remember that we've completely forgot to ask you about you actually getting to see the film. You know, did you go to the premiere, the the Texas premiere? You know, what what was it like? You know, attending that first show in. And the, there were two. I remember Mike and I went and saw the first ten minutes of the movie. We were just so freaking nervous, and we just the, 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 there was there was a screening. It was a big premiere, so we went and saw the first ten minutes, and then we snuck out of it, and then we saw the movie. For the first time, the later show, which was actually premiered with the audience, and yeah, it was look, it, it was a it was, it was an interesting experience because we're seeing everything for the first time. We were not in the set, so so the things that landed like really landed, and things were like, oh, uh, why did you cut that? Like you really, you really felt that way too. So it was a roller coaster experience, shall we say? And then, like I said, it's our it's our first movie. Yeah. That's why, like, for the, the, the longest time, uh, both Mike and I felt like it, it's a hard movie for us to watch simply because we are so close to it personally. Because so much blood, sweat, and tears went into it from, like, as I said, me wanting to do a Predator movie for years and years and years to us fighting like hell to get this job and then writing the script we were so proud of, only to learn more. Like, we want to go in a different direction. And then that 10 day sojourn of, of just pure survival and screenwriter combat of writing the new version. Like, when you've been, you've been through all that and you watch the finished product, it's just, it's so hard to be objective, which is why to me, it still holds such a, a dear, precious and sort of conflicted place in my heart because, because I'm just so close to it. And that's why it meant, has meant so much to hear from fans over the years who are like, Oh my God, you wrote that movie. And like, I, I, I loved watching it because, you know, as I said, the, the experience was so, was, was so arduous. Yeah. Can understand that. Certainly. Yeah. And and sorry, just just to go back to the fan questions. Yeah. Um, this is our this is our last one, and again, it's from Sil, and he asks this next one not to insult Nimrod Antal or um, oh my god, I'm going to butcher this um, Gula Pados, but to because he's a writer himself, but to get the perspective of a writer seeing their work interpreted on the big screen. Was there any scenes that you know you you said yourself you know you're directing this in your head as you're writing it and um, were there any scenes that you wish would have been filmed differently of course but you know what i'm not the director the answer to that question is yes but at the end of the day you're going to feel that way about everything that you do that's why there's like this ultimate carrot stick of like you go on to the next project and the next and the one after that 
because you hope that one comes out just right the way it's been in 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 your head and directed like either I guess that's why some writers become directors or like directed it in the way you, you envisioned it. But it's 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 a virtual impossibility because every director is going to have his or her vision. But, but yeah, I mean that that's why it's I find it so hard to watch the completed work now. So I, I, I third movie in mind is about to come out, and with both Famous Musketeers and this Disney Plus project, because it's not your first, you're kind of more used to the experience, and that's why Predators again was so emotionally raw, and that's why you felt so deeply the highs and the lows because I, there was there was no it's like your first relationship, it's your first girlfriend, like the the love was so pure and the, the heartbreak was so pure. And that's why when I talked about the moments that I love. When Adrian said that line, because that's what I would have done, it was just like clicked exactly how I wrote it. It's like he snatched the image from my head and put it in the screen. That's why it still stays with me. Coming back to your your, your fan question, but of course, it it always would have been, and it always will be. But guess what? I didn't direct the movie. Nimrod did. That was a hard fucking job. As as much as like Mike and I went through hell with different versions. Our job was done. The movie, the moment we're told, okay, cameras were rolling and you're good. And you never could stay with it. It was for him like a tremendously challenging experience for because, like I said, you move back into the day. I mean, it was an incredibly rough schedule. And I have to say that's another credit to, to Nimrod, to Robert, to, to Drew Carvello, to Alex Young, everybody involved in it. We can talk about all the different could have been, should have been. But at the end of the day, these guys and Mike Finch and I delivered a movie that on on an incredibly tight schedule that I would, again, I come back to, I think it is the only movie outside of the original that that sort of doesn't entirely suck. (laughs) (laughs) And that's everything from us. But before we sign off, is there anything you'd like to say, any anecdote or thought that we just haven't given you the opportunity to express? I think we were pretty much covered it. And again, thank you. Thank you guys for being fans. And thank you to all the listeners that out there who were, I guess, just suffered for two hours and 13 minutes of, of me pontificating <laughs> different stages of, of, of this, this journey. But but thank, thank you for being fans. And, and it's wonderful that to this day, it just lives on lives on and the culture lives on in the fandom and that's fundamentally why why i want to tell stories so that that somebody goes hey i enjoyed that that made me laugh that kept me on the edge of my seat i was rooting for these guys and so so thank you yeah this is definitely a fantastic contribution to the franchise in in our books uh and thank you again very much for coming on to talk to us we really appreciate it but if you'd like to follow us at avp galaxy you can go to our website which is avpgalaxy.net and we're also on facebook twitter instagram and youtube thank you again alex it's very much appreciated i hope everybody out there's enjoyed this episode as much as we've enjoyed recording this one as well because speaking personally for me you know the the movie archaeology aspect of of the post-release period of of films is super interesting to me i love seeing how these films evolved and hearing about the could have bins and stuff like that so i really appreciate how how much you've gone in with on this one alex very much thank you If you'd like to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at underscore Corporal Hicks, and that's all manner of geeky, nerdy stuff, Alien, Predator, Halo, Stargate, stuff like that. And if you'd like to follow me personally, it's at Ridgetop21 on both Twitter and Instagram. This has been Aaron Percival. And Adam Zeller. And Alex Litbeck. And I ain't got time to believe.